As promised, I am thrilled to announce that our tickets for Australian True Crime Live are now available. Join me in Sydney, Brisbane and or Melbourne this July. You can come to all three if you want. These tickets are expected to go very quickly, so be sure to secure yours by visiting the link in our podcast bio or you can head over to the Australian True Crime Facebook page. There'll be a nice link there for you. Update for Brisbane Australian True Crime fans. Brisbane is almost fully sold out for our live show. If you've been a listener for any length of time, you'll know how passionate I am about true crime stories from Australia. I'm looking very forward to an incredible evening together with you, sharing these captivating tales. We will have great guests as well, so, you know, we love a Q&A. If you've ever come along to an Australian true crime live gig, you'll know we love a Q&A with our guests. Don't miss out. Book your tickets today, and I'll see you in July for a memorable night out. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast is recorded. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and to Aboriginal elders emerging. The following podcast contains content of a graphic, violent nature and is not suitable for children. I isolated myself through choice because I learned that people are very judgmental. And as soon as I'd say something about Adam's case and with, you know, committing suicide and the coroner's handing down these findings, I've had people write down to my cousin say, Lynn, just accept it. He committed suicide. So you learn not to talk about it, to protect yourself from, from other people.
that's Lynn Cecil, who won't accept that her son Adam committed suicide. She believes he was murdered and she's fought for 15 years through two inquests, spending hundreds of thousands of dollars trying to prove it. In this podcast, Lynn will explain all the reasons why she believes her son was murdered. And it's up to us, not necessarily to decide whether or not we believe her, but at what point we'd be ready to get over it. If, God forbid, we were ever in her position. This is Australian True Crime with Michelle Laurie and Emily Webb. Come with us as we go beyond the news cycle to find out how people become killers, how people become victims and what happens next. Lynn Cecil was a single mum working two jobs and raising two sons in Sydney's Sutherland Shire. By the early 2000s, it seemed to have all worked out. Both boys had grown into young men she could be proud of and they both still liked to spend time with her pretty much every day. Lynn and the boys had a friendly relationship with their dad, George, but she'd achieved a level of financial independence that allowed her to finally get that pool in the backyard they'd all dreamed of. Life was looking good for Lynn Cecil and her boys, Adam and Mark. Oh, too true. Yes. Adam, when George left, he met another lady and left, went to Apia in Western Samoa. He was with the airlines. And Adam really took the responsibility of the man of the house. That's lovely. And and assisted with Mark, because Mark was a special needs child. So Adam took the lead. He was marvellous. I mean, the lawn mowing, the odd jobs around the house, absolutely everything. And to give you some idea of um, his sense of humour, I was standing at the sink one night and I always said I'd be so concerned when they were stronger than me. And this particular evening I said to both of them, I said, oh, I said, well, one of you please take the rubbish out. And with that, Adam came up and picked me up under my arms, <laughs> took me out and sat me on the gutter. <laughs> So. Oh, that's gorgeous. And when you say Mark was special needs, what do you mean by that? Uh, Mark was born with a hair, lip, cleft palate and H-type fistula. He was in the Prince of Wales Hospital for some 10 months. I lost count. I'd say he probably had about 14 operations. And he's now 41, a daddy of one with the second one on the way. Oh, that's wonderful. When they went to school, then Adam came extremely protective of Mark. There was that moment there when they were sort of, what were they, late teens? When Adam, what, what happened? He, he got a bit rebellious. Over the first girlfriend, which was Mandy, that's when our first problems occurred. It was his first love. They both went to the same school. Um, they as you know, I'm divorced and I was divorced at that point. And the father of the girlfriend made approaches towards me, which I rejected. And that's where the problems came in, that he um, put a knife between, not literally, (laughs) metaphorically, um, between Adam and Mandy. And then Adam blamed me for 
the relationship coming to an end. Uh, but probably Adam would have been, what, 16 then? Year 10? By the time he was 18, 19, um, we had rebuilt a good relationship, a good rapport. You were always a close family, certainly the three of you. And I love it the way you're talking in your stat deck about him moving close to you and rocking in every night and saying what's for dinner and if it sounded good, he'd stay (laughs) and watch TV with you guys afterwards. I don't know if I can say this or not. I won't actually say the F word, but he used to walk in the front door and he'd walk into the kitchen, open the fridge, ask me what we were having for dinner, and I'd tell him, look in the fridge, he'd say, look, there's no effing food in here. (laughs) 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 Then he'd he'd waltz off home, which was only five minutes around the around the road. But he bought a property quite young, didn't he? Oh, yes, yes. I think he was probably 19 when he bought his first townhouse in um, Sutherland. Yeah, and and then he bought an excavator because he went into business and that was something like 200000 But they earned good money. Mike Tickner, who put my pool in here, Mike took... Adam on as a casual before he had a driver's license. So he could drive an excavator before he could drive a car and he could dig pools. He was a tradie, Adam. He was like a, he was a lifelong tradie. Oh, yes, yes. And very highly skilled, obviously, and very hardworking. Oh, yes, yeah, definitely. So when did he meet this group of people who in the end became sort of a shadowy kind of crew? I don't know where they met, but they lived locally. So the, as I say, the local lads. And when I put the swimming pool in, I had an open house policy. So everyone used to accumulate at my place. James, Matthew, Erin from opposite, young lad from down the road, they were all here. Or when trouble appeared was when Adam met Nicole Timms. That's when everything started to fall apart. And Adam moved into that unit down at Cronulla with Shane. I learned very early in the piece that Nicole's father was extremely protective of his, of his daughter. And I never, ever got on with him. Never. I always personally felt that because I was divorced, I was on the outer. Oh, okay. So then maybe you can, because most of us in Australia don't know about the Shire. It's one of those funny places, isn't it? People from the Shire don't understand how the rest of us don't know about it. Is the Shire conservative or certainly was it when we're talking sort of 15, 20 years ago? Was it? Did it have that conservative vibe about it? Well, it did. I came, I came here in 1969. And, well, just, just to give you an indication, I know the girls up at the local shops and I was talking to Tracy one day and it was just small talk and she actually said to me, she's lived in the Shire all of her life, and she said, Lynn, I'll give you a warning. I said, what's that, Tracy? She said, never have an affair because everyone will know about it. Yeah. That's definitely the way I felt. And um, I never had any 
connection with them whatsoever until the night Adam died. I wasn't included in anything. Now, before Adam died, there was another incident. There was another hospitalisation. Can you tell us about that? Oh, that was, um, yes, that was Christmas 2004. And Adam was at my place at about five o'clock in the afternoon, that afternoon. And he came in and he looked really great. And he was looking forward to Christmas Eve. They were all going out to dinner. And he was very smartly dressed. And anyway, he wandered off at about six o'clock to go and meet the rest of the gang that were going out to dinner. And that was fine. We'd arranged what was going to happen on Christmas Day, that I was going to call into his place at Cronulla and see him and Nicole and exchange presents and say, Merry Christmas. Anyway, it must have been about 7am on Christmas morning and Shane arrived at my place and I said to Mark, my youngest son, I said, oh, Mark, that's funny, Shane's here. So he came in and he said, ah, oh, Lynn, don't worry, there's been an accident, but Adam's all right. So I looked, I said, why, why, what happened? Um, he's in St George Hospital. So he didn't really elaborate apart from telling me that he's all right. So, of course, then I phoned Adam at the hospital, who was in excruciating pain, and then the story came out. Shane actually told me that Adam was out to dinner. He went home early, and then he phoned, phoned Nicole at about midnight, and Shane answered Nicole's phone and wouldn't hand the phone over to Nicole because he said there's too much noise here and you can't hear. So the first story is that then Shane and Nicole went round to Nicole and Adam's unit to find Adam on the ground. And then the story was that he attempted to commit suicide, which is absolute rubbish. Then if you read through some of the statements, Shane's statement contradicts itself half a dozen times. Now, I never, ever believed that Adam attempted to commit suicide. I have my own theory on what happened that night. I believe a fight broke out and he was pushed over the balcony. That's what I believe. From that day on... Adam was never, ever left by himself. He never came to my house. He was always accompanied by Shane or Nicole. When he was in hospital, he was never left by himself. When I visited him at, down um, at Tim's place because um, Kerry said, you know, or he was invited to stay there post-op, Adam was never left by himself. There was always someone circling around. So I believe, and it might sound strange, but I believe he was virtually possessed by that family in the sense that they were frightened that he might spill the beans as to what truly happened that night. It is the strangest thing, Michelle, believe me. Yes, so he's gone from arriving at your house every night to check the fridge 
to never coming to your home alone again. Correct. Literally overnight, literally after that Christmas. Absolutely correct. Yeah. And this family that Adam's staying with, this is Nicole's family. Correct. This was Nicole's family. So you would go and visit him at these people's home. Yep. But they were always home when you were there. There was always someone there, mainly Cole's mother, but she was never sociable towards me. I'd take Adam's post around, but she was always just loitering. She was mopping the floor or she was doing something 10 feet away, but she never, ever sat down and spoke to Adam and me. After his hospitalisation that first time, was he given any treatment? Did the hospital send him home with a a mental health treatment plan or anything like that? I'd ask because it was so strange. By the way, when he was in hospital, there was always a member of Nicole's family there because everyone had said that he tried to commit suicide. I'd actually asked if he could see a psychiatrist or a psychologist and He did see a psychologist, okay? There was nothing untowards about the consultation with his psychologist. And then also after I found a contact, it was a psychiatrist that Adam had also seen, and he'd actually said, or when he wrote back to me, that Adam had absolutely and utterly no, what's the correct word, ideal it's towards suicide. Suicidal ideation. Ideations, yeah. yeah. Absolutely and utterly no suicide ideations. Mm. So that even more said to me, there's a cover-up here. There's a cover-up. And I believe um, that they were protecting Shane from being charged with grievous bodily harm. Who was Shane to them? Is he, He's a family friend. Yeah. Okay. So why are they protecting Shane? From what I can make out, Shane was a friend of Nicole's before Nicole started going out with Adam. And another thing that comes into the equation, Adam was against illicit drugs, but... They were into ecstasy and party drugs. So that was a worry. And that is also in the report from the psychiatrist that Adam saw when he was in hospital, that one of Adam's main concerns is when Nicole goes out with friends that she will partake in drugs or ecstasy. I know And I know that is true because my younger son, Mark, had been offered ecstasy in the past and declined. Okay, by that crew. Yeah. How old was Adam during this first hospitalisation, this first fall, whatever we're calling it? 26. That was December 2004 and he died and I had him cremated on his 27th birthday. We want to thank everyone who's ever supported us through Patreon, including those who are no longer able to do so. It's tough times, so if you're in a position to support us with a $5 monthly pledge now, please consider doing it. 
Patreon keeps us going and helps us help people like Lynn tell their stories. Thank you to these patrons, Rosemary, Tina Hall, Jessica Lorimer, Kathleen Kathleen, and Vanessa Cameron. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Coming up on Australian True Crime, we take a look at the basic questions that remain uninvestigated and unanswered about Adam's death. But first, Lynn takes us through the very strange period between the first fall and the last night of her son Adam's life. What was his recovery period like after that first hospitalisation? Did he get back to work? Oh, yeah, he was back at work, I believe, by the April. Oh, okay. Yeah, oh, made an incredible recovery. And also I found, no, I didn't find, it came in the post after he passed away, that he'd done some OH&S course for excavation during that period of time. So that's an indication of his determination. Yeah, and his ambition. And so he didn't want to waste the time. No, no, no. Mm. Uh, I don't know how the course was done, but he got a certificate for it. So. (laughs) So motivated. What came next then? There was a crisis in his relationship with Nicole. Well, it sounds very trivial, and I can remember Adam was here, and it was only a matter of a couple of weeks before Adam died that he said he'd asked Nicole because he wanted to move from the place at Cronulla and they wanted to buy a house, and Nicole reneged on that 
And that was the end of the story. The next thing I know is he's dead. But it was your understanding that she ended the relationship? Yes. How did you find out that he had been hurt again on the 3rd of August? What happened on the 3rd of August from your perspective? Well, he was here in the afternoon at about five o'clock and I got home from work and my house behind me, there's the fire trail, and I got home and there was Mark, Adam and Shane down on the fire trail having a beer. So I said, oh, hi, came up, got myself a light beer, went down, was having a chat with them and it was that was on the 3rd of August. and. It's Adam's birthday on the 9th, so I actually said to him, oh, what are we going to do for your birthday? And he shrugged his shoulders, and I said, oh, it's going to be a romantic night with Nicole. And he said, no, said that's not going to happen. So, anyway, I didn't pursue that conversation any further. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, (laughs) Mum. So, so George, um, Adam's dad, tried to ring and he didn't answer the phone. He just passed a comment, oh, well, Dad's a bit early for my birthday. And anyway, then Shane asked me to sign some documents as I'm a JP, so I did that. And then I said, oh, so I'm going around to, the, around to Bangor. And at that point, the three of them were still down on the fire trail. So I went into the Bangor shopping centre, came out. As I came just around the corner of Bagaroo Street, I saw Adam at the end of the street. He was turning right. I was coming into the street and Shane Jessamine was right behind him. Um, so I flashed, Adam flashed. Off they went. Didn't think any more of it, Adam he was a bit upset and said, well, I'm not going to have a romantic evening with Nicole. So the next thing I know, my mobile goes, and I didn't get to it. My phone landline went, so I didn't get to it. What time was this? How much later? Uh, this would have been about 8 o'clock, 10 past 8. Okay. So then I phoned Adam's mobile and a police officer answered the phone. So I said, yes, it's Lynn Cecil. Can I speak to Adam, please? He said, no, it's Constable so-and-so. I can't remember his name. Constable so-and-so here. Um, there has been an accident. We believe your son jumped off the roof of the Cronulla complex the ambulance is here and he's on his way to Sutherland Hospital. So they immediately assumed that Adam had jumped off the roof and that followed all the way through in spite of the fact I tried to tell Senior Constable Massey by Friday no way in the world did Adam commit suicide and no way in the world did he get onto that roof. But no one would listen to me. No one. Did they assume that or did someone tell them that? Were there any witnesses to his, I don't know, the Cronulla complex? How how public is that? Oh, it's in Ozone Street. Just one of the, there's some of the, yeah, right in the centre. It sounds public, the complex, it sounds public. So there were, were there any witnesses? And it's 8 o'clock at night when you've been notified, so it's early. Were there any witnesses that saw him jump? No, no, no. 
there was a witness that saw him drinking in the garage with a mate at about 7, 7, 7.30. At home? Yes, yes. And that fellow was identified by one of the residents of the Cronulla complex at the first coronial inquest. And coroner Paul McMahon simply suppressed his name, never to be mentioned again. Right. The guy uh, that spoke to him, Stuart, he just said, oh, good day, mate, how are you? And they were only acquaintances because they lived in the same complex. And Adam replied, oh, I said, I've never been better. So how far is Adam's home where he was drinking at 7.30 with a friend from where he was found by the ambulance, the Cronulla complex? How far is that? Oh, it's just around the corner. His unit was facing Ozone Street. The driveway comes down to the left of the complex and his body was found halfway down the driveway. Of the complex? Yeah. Like how far a walk do you reckon? Uh, probably oh, maximum 50 metres. Oh, okay. Be less than that. Okay. Be less than that, yeah. So no one's actually seen it happen but the police just guessed that that's how he ended up on the ground before they've had any post-mortem or anything? Now, I'm reading here in your submissions, by the way, it says that on the night Adam died, on the night of the 3rd of August, police attended the scene and they initially regarded it as a crime scene. Yeah, they did. Yeah, specialist crime scene police attended, as did on-call detectives. The area was cordoned off. Persons who were in the area were asked to line up and their particulars were taken. They started door knocking. They did all of the stuff that you do, but then information was obtained that suggested Adam may have jumped from his balcony in December 2004. So someone then has provided them with that information that seems to have changed their thinking. You see what I'm saying? Well, oh, yeah. I believe that everything changed when they entered the unit, which I believe was about 11, 11.30, and they found a so-called suicide note it was it was marked will i adam cecil hereby leave everything to mark cecil the strongest person i know and it was meant to have been signed and dated by adam on the 3rd of the 8th 2005 now when you think of it adam left here they say he left here at about a quarter to six. He would have been home by about a quarter past six. Um, he'd had quite quite a lot to drink. How would he write notes? So either when he was inebriated, he was I, it was under duress, or someone else wrote it. Did you have an opportunity to have it looked at in terms of handwriting or anything like that? Well. I paid, I paid a specialist and they said, yes, Adam wrote it. Okay. Now, also, it was meant to be, have been sent a, a text message that said, it's all your fault. There was a text message. It was to his father, George. 
So the suggestion is that for whatever reason, Adam was ruminating over his life and he was depressed and his last act was to send his father a text message saying it's all your fault before he threw himself off the roof. Yeah. Did that message ring true in any way to George in terms of any conversation they had ever had or? Well, like me, I mean, George and Adam never had never exchanged text messages. We always got on, we always got on the phone and phoned each other. And did they have any ongoing dialogue about it being your fault? Like, did it make sense in any way? No, no. I think George was extremely hurt, but he was extremely hurt about a lot of things, you know, because um, it was absolutely and utterly horrendous because everyone tried to put the focus on George and myself A, for being divorced, and B, for being such bad parents. Mm. When you say everyone, specifically? Well, specifically the people I've been talking about. The morning that I was trying to arrange Adam's funeral and I ended up with Nicole and everyone here, a couple of them requested to be here, and George and I was trying to work out the, the bearers to carry the coffin. And I said about George, Nicole looked him straight in the eye and said, Adam hated you. I mean, the whole thing, the whole thing is just so horrendous. And even at the first coronial inquest, when we had these people as witnesses, they were bagging me so much as a mother. I was a terrible, terrible mother, you know. They were bagging me so much. My solicitor at that point, who was David Barrow, turned around and said to me one day, well, the hearing went for four days. He said, how do you listen to this, Lynn? I said, David, they didn't live in my house. So the focus from all of these this so, these so-called friends, I think, bagged George myself to take the focus off them. I'm just noticing here too that no officers attended the post-mortem, so obviously they'd reached their conclusion already. Oh, definitely, definitely, yeah. But I've, I've even got a couple of lines out of the New South Wales Police Handbook. Suicides do not presume suicide and bear in mind evidence presented to the coroner must be sufficient to conclusively prove it. Yep, and I'm reading here, no real effort was made to determine precisely how Adam accessed the roof. No statement was sought from the last person recorded as having seen him alive. No statement sought from the first person to find him in the driveway. No statement sought from Senior Constable Yates, the crime scene examiner. She didn't even look over the fence. There was an old paling fence adjoining the property and Adam's body was found just within probably a metre of the fence and I believe that he was thrown over the fence and also I have the autopsy photos and he's got um, lacerations down his thigh, down his face and you can see on his hands where he's tried to grab something and she didn't even look over the fence. 
<laughs> they decided he'd committed suicide. End of story. But what I don't understand, Michelle, how it has gone through to coronial inquests. Now, the Supreme Court quashed the first inquest. How come in the second inquest is still handed down a finding that Adam jumped from a height, a height unknown? It seems to me you have your suspicions about specific people who may have been involved in both events. Have any of them had any other records of, of violence, any convictions or anything? Not to my knowledge. How long ago was the last inquest? Uh, 2013. Seven years ago now. How have you, I mean, have you found a way to live with it or are you still campaigning? Well, I'm still campaigning and it was late last year that I was summoned to do jury duty. Oh. And you can imagine, how could I? How could I? I couldn't do jury duty. So I went and saw my local GP and I was exempt from doing jury duty on medical grounds due to being traumatised for so many years over Adam's death. Now, I'm traumatised by the justice system. Mm. I've, I've been on a seesaw for 15 years, up, down, up, down, up, down, and um once I was excused on medical grounds, I decided to start writing letters again. So I wrote to the Commissioner of Police, Michael Fuller, and I requested that um, a police advocate be appointed so I could discuss what's the next step. Mentally, it's horrendous. So I met with two police officers probably on uh, April I think it was April. And then the next thing I know, I get a letter from the superintendent by the name of Box. Okay. Yeah, it's dated the 19th of March. Dear Ms. Cecil, I refer to your letter to Commissioner Fuller on the 23rd of January 2020 regarding the death of your son, Adam Cecil, on the 3rd of August 2015. He got that wrong, didn't he? Your correspondence referred to this command for attention. As you are aware, Detective Sergeant Parsons and Detective Senior Constable Prince met with you on February the 5th, 2020, in order to discuss your concerns. I understand you indicated you were not happy with a coronial inquest finding handed down by Deputy State Coroner Dillon on the 29th of August 2013. In that regard, I recommend you make representations to the State Coroner about other possible avenues of investigation. The State Coroner will then decide if any further police action is required. So silence prevails. I believe that Adam had to be silenced because he knew too much about a drug ring within the Sutherland Shire. There is a reason he had to be silenced. I think the only way I can sum it up is it's something you never get over, you learn to live with it. There is corruption. I've learnt a lot. It cost me a lot of money but I have learned a lot. All I wanted, all I ever, ever wanted was justice for Adam. 
And I think the hardest thing is knowing that the perpetrators that bashed him that night or whatever they did are still walking the streets. Thank you to Lynn Cecil for sharing your story with us. If you have a story you think we'd be interested in or if there's an Australian true crime you think we should look into, please let us know on Facebook. Thank you to these patrons. Jody, Justine McLeod, Maddie Davidson, Belinda Hilton, Cheyenne Eve, Kim Gatians and Kelly Booley. And thank you for downloading this episode of Australian True Crime made in association with the ACAST Creator Network. We'll be back next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 
As promised, I am thrilled to announce that our tickets for Australian True Crime Live are now available. Join me in Sydney, Brisbane and or Melbourne this July. You can come to all three if you want. These tickets are expected to go very quickly, so be sure to secure yours by visiting the link in our podcast bio or you can head over to the Australian True Crime Facebook page. There'll be a nice link there for you. Update for Brisbane Australian True Crime fans. Brisbane is almost fully sold out for our live show. If you've been a listener for any length of time, you'll know how passionate I am about true crime stories from Australia. I'm looking very forward to an incredible evening together with you, sharing these captivating tales. We will have great guests as well, so, you know, we love a Q&A. If you've ever come along to an Australian true crime live gig, you'll know we love a Q&A with our guests. Don't miss out. Book your tickets today, and I'll see you in July for a memorable night out.